tonight, for just maybe just one week, I don't know, maybe more, will be in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8. And I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 8, all the verses, verses 1 through 23. Again, the word of the Lord came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with a great zeal. With great fervor I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, O man, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand, because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of these people in these days, Will it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west, and I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you have been hearing in these days the words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord of hosts that the temple might be built. For before these days there were no wages for man nor hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy uh, for whoever went out or came in. For I set all men, every man against his neighbor. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous. The vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give her increase. And the heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. And it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear, let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, I would not relent and I would not relent. So again in these days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem, to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in the gate, gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath. For all these are things I, that I hate, says the Lord. Then the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. 
for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself also will go, will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. I saw a cartoon this week uh, picturing two men. And the two men, they are like twins. They look exactly the same. And they're both sitting in churches that look exactly the same. And so one man you're seeing sitting next to the other, and they're looking exactly the same. And they both look like they're bored. And they both look maybe just a tinge angry even. And under the picture of the first man is the caption, uh, a Presbyte uh, no, a Pentecostal when he's angry at the sermon. And the other picture says a Presbyterian when he's re enjoying the sermon. <laughs> and the idea is that the Pentecostal, when he's angry, will sit there and act mad. But the Presbyterian, when he's happy, will sit there and act <laughs> mad. And it's something that I think we need to improve on. Not necessarily this group, because you're the ones here on Sunday nights and and some of you are smiling, but there's not a, sometimes in Presbyterian churches, there's not a passion. And sometimes there's a, a feeling that we should not be passionate. We should be less passionate than our Pentecostal brothers. And here we're reading in this chapter about the zeal of the Lord of hosts and it's interesting, even the zeal part is interesting because of what it is. The zeal is for our blessing, to bless us, to make us happy. I've also seen on the internet sometimes, God doesn't want our happiness, he wants our holiness. And there's a lie connected to that. Because God wants us to be happy and holy. He wants us to be blessed and and uh, holy. And so it's not a battle against holiness or happiness. The two go together. If you are holy, you will be happy. Especially blessedness is even a better happy than happy. Happy is just not necessarily an eternal happy, but happy is, 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 is something that sometimes unbelievers can have. Blessedness is a very special kind of happiness that we get from the Lord and the Lord of hosts. Now this passage, all through Zechariah, this title is used, the Lord of hosts. And one of the titles that we should know God as is the Lord of hosts. And Jesus said, and this is eternal life that they may know you 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And my first point is know the Lord of hosts. It's important to know God as the Lord of hosts. And why do I say this? Well, consider how often the Lord uses this title in the Bible and in this chapter. In the Bible, God calls himself the Lord of hosts 940 times. That's quite a lot of times. In Zechariah 8.1, the first verse in this chapter, he uses it twice. In this chapter, he uses the title Lord of Hosts 23 times, I mean 17 times in 23 verses. And we read in scripture and we know in scripture that when God repeats something, uh, he's trying to get it through to us. And when he continually calls himself the Lord of Hosts, the Lord of Hosts, the Lord of Hosts, Throughout this chapter, it's telling us that's an important thing that we need to notice. And what we need to notice is, well, one, it's important to know what the Lord of hosts means. What does this mean when God calls himself the Lord of hosts? And the phrase Lord of hosts means Lord of armies, which means God is in control of all the armies in the world, whether you're talking about human armies or angel armies, or army ants. Even the, the fire ants in your yard are under his control. If you understand the term biblically, it means God is the commander of everything. His armies include locusts, Exodus 10, verse 4, uh, 12, 13, 14, and 19, and even spiritual locusts. Remember those horrible locusts I preached about from uh, Revelation 9, uh, verses 3 and 7. His armies include all the plagues of Egypt, the frogs, the gnats, the lice, the flies, uh, not only these, but the blood that replaced the water, uh, the disease on the livestock, the boils, the darkness. His control over the Red Sea when he divided it uh, showed he was the Lord of hosts. Israel's army would be included as part of the Lord's army, Uh, when they blew their trumpets and uh, the trumpets were part of his host. David with his slingshot who took down Goliath. The bow that was drawn at a venture, which killed King Ahab, would be included. Remember that story? Ahab gets himself all disguised like he's a regular soldier, not not, not the king. And they only, the enemy only wanted to kill the king. And he tells good King Jehoshaphat, you come in your royal attire, so you will be the target. And and so Jehoshaphat's so good, he does it for Ahab. Uh, He felt he had to do that because Ahab is the king of Israel and he's Judah. He'd love it to be unified in some way. And and he does that, and, and pretty soon the enemy realizes Jehoshaphat's not the right king. They're still aiming for... Ahab, but there's no way to find him because he's not dressed like a king. And one guy just shoots a bow, not aiming at anything. Uh, And and it hits Ahab. Ahab was full of armor, protected, but it found what we call the chink in the armor. That arrow was guided by the Lord of hosts. God had prophesied that Ahab would die in that battle. Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of Babylon, who took his armies and burnt Jerusalem, which is somewhat hinted at even in this chapter, 
uh, in Zechariah. He was part of the Lord of hosts. He stole away the children. And these are part of uh, the Lord of hosts also. The fish or the whale that swallows Jonah. The worm that jo killed Jonah's plant. Your headache, somebody's cancer. A king's insomnia. Records, books, whatever you think of could be part of that Lord of hosts. Even your computer, if it's not working right, or your printer that goes out when you're, you're trying to print something. Uh, he's in control of all of these things. He, the Lord of hosts, because he controls everything. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. When you think of the lot, what's a lot? A lot was they had these lots, and th today the closest thing are, I think are dice or the lottery. Uh, if you think of lot and lottery, the little balls are lots. And uh, if the lot came up right, it's you know very good for you if you're playing the lottery. Uh, and the lot was like that in that day. It could come up good or it could come up evil. Uh, even the men though who killed Jesus Christ, were under God's control. It says in Acts 2, 22 and 23, men of Israel, he uttered these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you uh, by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him and in your midst, as you yourself know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. So God delivered them, him, Jesus, but they, they did it by uh, their guilty hands. The same in chapter 4, uh, 4, X 4, 27 and 28, it says, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together, to do whatever your hand, your capital, meaning God's hand, and your purpose determined before to be done. God was even in control, and maybe you could say especially in control, of those armies that came against our Lord Jesus Christ. He was in control of them. He allowed it for our good, even though those men were evil. And so here is just an outline from all, maybe a lot of scripture about how important this title is. It means that God's in control of everything as Lord of hosts. And as Lord of hosts, he has a certain zeal that is communicated in this passage. And so the second point is feel God's zeal. Verses one and two, it says, again, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal, with great fervor, I am zealous for her. With zeal. Where else in the Bible do you see zeal? Well, you see zeal in John chapter 2 when Jesus cleanses the temple and he throws out uh, the money changers. And it says in that passage, that zeal for my house, uh, your house has eaten me up. Meaning Jesus was zealous for the house of God. He loved the house of God. He did not want it to be defiled by the money changers. And so he threw them out. And if God loves us, 
He wants us not to be defiled. He wants us to be holy. He will do whatever it takes to make us holy. And then he also, according to this chapter, wants us to be happy and blessed. And that's the main theme of this chapter. He has zeal for us, zeal to make us happy. Well, how does he, God, bless his people? Uh, how does he make them happy? And what, how, in what ways is he zealous? Well, number one, by returning to them, giving them himself. Zechariah 8, verses 3 and 8, we'll talk about this. It says, Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain, the set-apart mountain, the holy mountain. That would be Jerusalem. God says he's going to return to that, and he did. Uh, in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so when Jesus came to Jerusalem, he was returning just as God had promised. Jesus is the truth. Jerusalem is that place of truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says to uh, those at Laodicea in the book of Revelation, he says, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, and that's who he calls himself. The amen, the word amen means true. Uh, and he, when he says truly, truly, or verily, verily, or most assuredly, like our, 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 our New King James Version says, he's saying amen, amen. That's the literal, uh, what it would be in the Aramaic, which Jesus spoke. This was God's covenant promise that he would be with his people. In Jeremiah 31, 33, it says, But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Some of you who are in our Wednesday study, which is a couple of you over here, I don't know if you remember chapter 7, there were the, you could call them the kind of false Christian people who came to Jerusalem when Jerusalem's all beaten up, and they're asking, shall we still pray the prayers that we've been praying all these 70 years while they were in captivity? And God says, don't pray those prayers anymore. He says, you need to repent. You need to turn around. And those people needed to repent in order to get right with God. But the people who are in Jerusalem, the people are trying to build up. Uh, he is telling them that he's coming to them to bless them. Now, did they need to repent of anything? No, almost certainly they did. There's times that he challenges them to do that. But they were the ones that you can say in some sense they were already repenting, and because of that, God was going to bless them because of the things that uh, they were trying to do. Of course, he eventually will dwell with his people forever. It says here in verse 8, it says, They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Those are the people that he's talking about that were in Jerusalem and his first blessing to them is that he is theirs. And if God is ours, 
Like it says in Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Ultimately, it turns out to what is said in Revelation 21. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor uh, there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he said, uh, then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Here I believe in Zechariah, he's promising to be with them. In what way? Well, to be with them in this life, those who are faithful, those who are true, uh, carrying them through this life. And then also, he's promising all of us to be with, if we are with him, we're going to have him with us through this life. But he's promising all of us at that end in the New Jerusalem, we will have him drying our tears. He will be there to be our God and we will be his people as we are his people now. Having God and his zeal for us is everything. As I already quoted, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If the Lord of hosts, who controls every army in the world, who controls every little fire ant, who controls all our sicknesses, is for us, then who can be against us? Even if we get one of these things happening to us, we can say God is in control and he is using it somehow for my good. Psalm 84, 11 and 12 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield, The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, there's that name again. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. The Lord God is our sun, meaning the brightness of our days, and our shield, meaning our protection. And it says there he is the Lord of hosts. He's in control of everything that's around us. And he's saying, blessed is the man, and I think that includes women as well. That's the generic man there. Blessed is anyone who trusts in him. Number four, he will bless us, and he blessed them by bringing peace and safety to them, even in marvelous ways. It says in Zechariah 8, 4 through 6, thus says the Lord of hosts, old men, And old women shall sit again in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of a great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts. Now these were the people at least some of the older ones who would have endured the war. Uh, Women had seen their husbands killed. Uh, Women had even eaten their babies, according to Lamentations 4, 9 through 11. It says that the hands 
verse 10 of Lamentations 4, the hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. They had endured these terrible things. And now it's 70 years and they are back in Jerusalem. And obviously some of them probably were born during those 70 years. They maybe didn't see, maybe some of them didn't see the worst of the things, but they're back in Jerusalem to rebuild. And Jerusalem is just a pile of rubble. And they're rebuilding it. And God is telling them that the old men and the old women will sit in the streets of Jerusalem again. That means that the streets of Jerusalem would be safe for old men and women to sit in. That means the old men are not killed in a war when they're young men. That means that both old women and old men are, are healthy enough to live that long. It's also probably an indication that this isn't talking yet about heaven because in heaven we have new bodies where we're not old men and women. But it's talking about now and it's talking about this as a blessing. And then it says the streets of the cities will be filled with boys and girls, meaning also that that is safe. In the case that's mentioned here, they wouldn't have been safe because of war. And children would not be safe in the middle of the streets because of war. Even today, when we think about children today, how many children go play out in the streets today? Now it's not necessarily war in our country, but we don't let our little children go play out in the streets because somebody will abduct them and sell them into slavery. So we can't do that anymore. But in a good day, in a moral day, in a right day, that would happen. Old men and women uh, mean they were blessed to live so long. Children living in the streets, or playing in the streets, I mean, uh, means that the streets would be safe. There would be a moral circumstance that would allow that. By bringing them out of captivity, he says, uh, this is number five. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west, and I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Well, there were some people living in Jerusalem at this point, but the crowd was still in these other lands. They were free to come to Jerusalem, but why wouldn't they come? They didn't come because Jerusalem was still a rubble. The people are there are building uh, makeshift houses and and living there in, in relative poverty, uh, but they're, they're choosing to live there, and God is telling them, it's not going to be like this all the time. It's going to be built up again. It's, you're going to see it strong again. The same is true for us as far as captivity to sin. In uh, John eight thirty four through 36, it says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus answered them, saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. I, I skipped a couple words there. Uh, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. We can get victory over our sins, uh, have freedom from our sins. Uh, how? Through the Son, if the Son sets us free. For, uh, number six, he would bless them by giving them strength and prosperity, even in regard to building the temple. 
And even the temple that is us, he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You have been, who have been hearing in these days the words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day the foundation was laid for the, for the house of the Lord of hosts, the temp, that the temple might be built. For before these days there were no wages for man, nor hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in. And this is, you know, he's telling them here, nobody was being paid to build this. We're rebuilding it voluntarily. He's telling them uh, there's no place for them to live while they're doing this. He's saying uh, there's no safety from an enemy. There were enemies around them while they're trying to do this. It wasn't exactly an easy build. But he says, but now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in former days, says the Lord of hosts, for the seed shall be prosperous. The vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give its increase. The heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. And it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah, and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear, let your hands be strong. And so while they're working in these hard conditions, he's saying the seed of you, meaning your children, uh, this is all going to be built. It's all going to be nice, and they are going to be strong, and, and you are going to be uh, the ones that are the heroes. You are the ones that are going to be prosperous, and your children will be prosperous in this area. But what he is also saying, I believe, is he's pointing to the temple of the Lord when we build even in hard times, when it seems like not many people are coming to church, uh, when we keep at it, when we do not, uh, when are not worthy and well-doing, God will bless. And ultimately, all, 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 all for surely in eternity, we'll see that crowd of, uh, of people there. And we will, we will be glad for what we've done and what God has done to us, or through us, I mean. Number seven, he is zealous to do good to them by grace, even as he may punish uh, for our doing evil. And so here he says, verses 14 through 17, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and that's why he's showing his power. He could punish, and now he can, he can reward as well. And I would not relent. So again, in these days, I determined to do good to Jerusalem, to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor and do not love a false oath for in all these things, for all these things I hate, says the Lord. Now, those are the things they had been doing before. They had cheating each other. They were lying to each other, uh, giving false oaths and things like this. And he's saying, you know, just as I punished your fathers for these kind of things, so I can bless you now. But he says, this is how you, uh, you, you start to be blessed. You start obeying the commands I have. You speak the truth. You live in peace with your neighbor. Uh, uh, you do the things that are right. And then number eight, 
uh, he replaces their mourning with, and, and fasting with rejoicing and feasting. He says, then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth and peace. He's saying just as they were fasting and they had been fasting during the 70 years that we, they were in captivity, and some of the people that were in those lands that were in captivity came to them in Jerusalem and said, should we continue fasting now that we're not in captivity? And, and God said, no. But he was telling them to repent. But here he's telling the people who were faithful, these fasts will turn into feasts. Uh, you will have blessings uh, in the house of Judah. Then, number nine, by spreading these blessings worldwide... He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will all go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations, not just, you know, the Jews, many peoples and strong nations shall come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from every language of the nations so grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. When does this ever happen? Well, this happens after Jesus dies, after he resurrects, after uh, he t commands his apostles to go out and they share the gospel in all the places as it says in Acts 1, 4 through 8, uh, that it would be, they would be witnesses, or Jesus says, Jesus says, before he ascends, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It's a little remnant he's talking to uh, some years before Christ would come. And he's telling them, be faithful to build the temple. And he's promising, you will have your people. You'll grow old together. You'll, you'll see children playing in the streets together. You'll, you'll see a sort of prosperity because this place that's rubble now, your seed, they will build it up. Uh, even though it's empty now, in the future, it will be full. And, and, and he goes on and he gets to this place where it will not just be this city, but the gospel will spread. And, you know, when he says 10, uh, ten nations or uh, uh, 10 men from every nation will grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, he's talking not just about any Jewish man. He's talking about this remnant, the true godly people like, uh, like Peter, like uh, James, like John, those who were true converts who truly shared the gospel and and, and spread the gospel from, uh, from Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, those missionaries have gone out since then. And then, you know, when I, and I was correct, when I, when I had this as a Bible study, I had a whole lot more to it. But as a sermon, I don't have all this. So the third point is rejoice in what God has done and will still do. And I have quotes here from Esther 9, 20 through 22. 
It says, And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus uh, to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th day of the month of Adar as days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them from mourning to a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and joy of sending presents uh, to one another and gifts to the poor. And the reason I brought that in and I put in a lot more detail in the Bible study, but uh, was if you remember the story of Esther and, and Mordecai, Esther was a Jewish woman uh, who, because the king, Ahasuerus, uh, was displeased by his first wife and let her go, uh, became in a, involved in a contest, not voluntarily, but she was drafted, and she ended up becoming queen. And Haman, and I'm making this short, Haman, who was almost second in command, maybe second in command to the king, decided that he would kill all the Jews because Mordecai, Esther's uncle, wouldn't bow to him. So he would kill the whole nation. And somehow that got put into law, and they started praying. But Esther, who's never shown, let her husband know that she's a Jew, uh, has to let him know. And so she sets up a party and at the same time, the king has insomnia. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around here. Maybe beforehand, the king has insomnia and can't sleep and is going through his record books. And he, he realizes that this man had saved his life and he needs to reward this man. And the man was Mordecai, but Haman comes in and is going to speak to the king and the king says to Haman what should be done to the man who the king desires to honor and Haman thinks oh who would he honor other than me and he's, he, Haman says well you put him in the king's clothing and, and put him on the king's horse and have one of the king's servants ride him through the town and say this is what is done for the man who the king desires to honor and the man who the king desires to honor was Mordecai, the Jew, who Haman wanted to kill. But then Haman is the one who has to parade him through town, saying this is what is done uh, for the man the king desires to honor. And what we see in that chapter, because it comes after this chapter that I just spoke on tonight, is how God, as the Lord of hosts, has control of every little thing. And Haman desires to build this gallows to hang Mordecai on and he ends up hanging on it himself and what I just read about the celebration was the celebration of the Jews because they were saved from be, from that bad law that Haman wrote and put into effect by another law that that the king uh, wrote later and we see God in charge of all this, in charge of the king, in charge of uh, the king's ex-wife being a little bit uh, troublemaker or not humble, uh, of Esther being the one that's chosen, 
because she's sweet and, and humble. All these things work together to the ultimate blessing. And that's what God is talking about here. Uh, and it works, I believe, for us today. God's still in control. Uh, he's still the Lord of hosts in each of our lives. Some things are hard. Some things are, are easier. But he's in control of all of them. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you're a God who rules, who controls all things. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to trust in you in whatever circumstances we might be in. And Father, we pray that we might be blessed in, in those circumstances as we draw nearer to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.